You are listening to The Benchcast with your host, the man whose business is benching, Coach Ben. All right, everyone, welcome to Bench Talk Live. This is the podcast where we shoot the shit, answer questions, and uh, just have a good time here. All right, so I'm going to get the ball rolling. Got a great episode again for you today. I'm excited everyone can uh, pop in and join us. Uh, It's Cinco de Mayo, Cinco de Mayo edition of the Benchcast. Ariba. I don't know what that means. I think it's something good, though. But we're celebrating Cinco de Mayo. Happy 5th of May. May the 4th be with you. Let's cover everything while we can. Uh, Sip of coffee for the working man. You can see I got my pigskin cup again. Good vibes. Good vibes to uh, kick off the NFL season. I'm really hoping that uh, we can get the ball rolling by September. Uh, And I'm really, really pulling for a Bucks-Patriots Super Bowl. That would make my life. That would be the, the I, I don't even know how I could put that into words, how much that would mean to me. That would be such an awesome Super Bowl. Uh, we got people joining in. Mike, what's up, Mike? How we doing? Uh, Matt, look forward to this all morning. Sip of coffee to you, Matt. Sip of coffee for all the working men out there uh, getting shit done. Mm, straight espresso. I'm pumped. I'm ready to get rolling. Uh, I'm actually going to be going on another podcast right after this with Rob King, and I'm really excited about that. I'm actually going up to Canada. Um, hopefully, I'm going to be able to see him. I'm doing a clinic up there at the end of June. Uh, bench clinics for me right now kind of been put on hold for the most part, um, but I'm hoping that once gyms open up, we're going to be able to resume all that. You know, everything got rescheduled to uh, you know end of June for, for this Canada one. Hopefully, I can even cross the border by then, um, but... August, we uh, pretty much pushed all our clinics uh, to August, and uh, you know, probably be a while before I can get some new ones on the schedule. But if anyone uh, knows a place that we could potentially host a bench clinic, you know, after all this stuff is over, let me know, reach out to me, uh, give me the gym owner's email, or whatever, and I'll try to set it up with them, and hopefully, we can make it work so I can come out to your area. It's something I really enjoy doing, and there's nothing that really replaces hands-on, one-on-one work. You know, if I have the ability to even be with you for those three hours and just get that personalized hands-on work, you know, there's so much that we can accomplish in terms of changing your bench game. And um, you know, I just I really love getting out there and meeting all y'all. So uh, hopefully, we can keep that rolling. Uh, Matt says I have a bench and post. We can use my garage. Hey, you know what? There's no restrictions on it. You know, if I can teach what I can teach, I'll go to someone's garage. Don't mind me. Um, I do have a uh, minimum I got to meet for for travel clinics, but and I'm sure we can. Uh, it's definitely in the Texas area. I feel like we'll get some some Texans coming out. We'll have a good time over there. Um, so let's kick it off with some questions. You know, speaking of you, Matt, you had a great question that you posted on our. Um, you had an IG stories. And for anyone listening, you can uh, leave your questions for the Bench Talk podcast on Mondays uh, through our IG stories. I-, I take in questions from you guys. So Matt said, at the Hybrid Hillbilly on Instagram, does your programming change based on the person's age and experience? That's a great question. Love that one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely does. Um, for example, some of our older lifters, um, you know, depending on how you look at it, you know, aged, aged, finely aged, whatever you want to say. Um, our older population of lifters, I coach a few 50 plus lifters and um, I, I do make some accommodations, but you know, it's, it's, I factor in that we'll probably have to watch how much volume we do because obviously the recovery capabilities probably aren't the same as when they were 25. You know, that's to be expected. But however, you might find some really well conditioned 50 plus year olds um, who can handle a good amount of volume. Maybe they've been training for a long time. They've built up that work capacity uh, and they actually need to be pushed more. So just have to keep in mind that I might have to monitor these individuals a little bit more. They're probably working with some restrictions. Obviously, uh, you know, Matt is being a PT, uh, older population. It's not going to move quite as limber as when they were younger. So we might have to kind of work around a few exercises here and there. There might be some things that aggravate them. Um, but it all comes back to communication, communicating those things and, and making sure we, we make those changes and get things right. So just a lot of communication there. And then um, you also mentioned experience levels, and that's another huge factor, something that I ask uh, in our intake form there, you know, how, how many years have you been training? And, um, you know, I've, I've had people apply to a team with 30-plus years of training, considerable amount. So I know someone coming to us with 30-plus years of training I mean, they they know their way around the weight room. You know, they're more or less um, looking for some accountability, some structure. You know, a lot of times these lifters have tried, they've hopped so many programs, and they just want to um, be structured on something. And, um, you know, I always think our program so awesome because uh, I just, I vary so much. I vary so much because um, it's a seriously an individual approach. Like I'll go out and, and just spend hours at a time just working on one program um, and it putting a lot of thought towards that person and what they need to get better and uh, you know I vary up so many things you know based on how things are going I don't have one structured thing I do so yeah, that's why I always love um, and, and I keep it that way you know I don't have a huge amount of clients that I work with right it's I keep it a smaller knit group uh, if I had to expand, if we get that point, I'd probably do something along the lines of um, potentially even bringing on some more coaches, things like that. But I'd always keep it so that we have that individual approach um, and everyone will get that attention that they need um, in order to progress. So literally everything's different. But yeah, definitely come back to your questions. Programming change based on the person's age and experience. Definitely, um, usually with what exercises we're doing, how much volume, and then uh, definitely frequency of lifting too. And uh, just really based around how well they're recovering. So that was a great question there, Matt. Uh, anyone listening in now, you can drop your cues below. This is Bench Talk Live, Cinco de Mayo version. Taco Tuesday. For everyone that's into Taco Tuesday. Uh, you get some good discounts and tacos. We got some good taco places out here. I'm in New York for those who don't know. Um, I'm, I'm a big empanada guy. I'm a huge empanada guy. I really love those freaking empanadas probably more than anything. 
Um, and there's a spot out here. They've expanded quite a bit. Island Empanada. Oh, boy. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Matt says Austin, Texas has some of the best. Yeah, I I bet they do. I bet they do. And I bet the, the shit they put in those empanadas are quality because that's some of the best barbecue. Love me some Texas barbecue. I, you know, when I went down there, I was expecting something good, you know, but in the back of my head, I was like, how different can it really be? You know, how, how different, because my friends made some really good brisket. I got a buddy with a smoker. I got a smoker coming in this week, supposedly. They keep delaying it, but um, made some really good brisket ribs. And, and I'm like, man, you know, how, how different is it really going to be when I go down there to Texas? And boy, was I kind of blown away. Um, just it's like you ask for the brisket, and it looks like they just whip it out from like a shelf, and it looks like it's just been sitting there. Um, and I don't even like I'm figuring out oh, it must be cold and shit. It's like sh- sh- sitting on this shelf here, and it comes out the juiciest piece of meat, falls apart in your mouth, so tender delicious just delicious the ribs beautiful ribs mm. love it i could literally i'm not a huge meat eater in the sense that you know i if i'm gonna have like a barbecue style meal i'm i'm enjoying those carbs and things that come uh, come along with it just as most as meat i'm not one to just sit down and eat all these different meats but when um i had that meat yeah, from Texas there in Austin. I had a spot in Houston, spot in Austin. I like the one in Austin. Uh, they're both so great. But, boy, was it different. It kind of really blew me away. It's like saying, you know, pizza outside New York's not the same. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think there's some good pizza spots. But I've seen the trend where the majority of spots you go to, and there's some outliers, the majority of spots you go to are not as good. Same with bagels. They're just not the same. It's, there's a regional thing to it, um, it, it, talking in the majority of places you go to. Lift the Mailman, Dinosaur Barbecue, Syracuse, New York is the bomb. I believe they have one um, out here. Uh, if I'm thinking of the right place, Brooklyn, I believe there's dinosaur barbecue in brooklyn i've heard of it i haven't been to syracuse one um but i i have not been to that i'm sure it's awesome i think uh we were talking about doing a, some kind of pig roast thing there for a bit uh, i think they you get enough people roast up a whole pig right there but yeah all this barbecue talk guys you get me hungry here uh matt says i saw your video on the earthquake bar how often are you using that bar more in the off season uh, so I use the bamboo bar pretty much all the time. Uh, I've I don't use it quite as much now. I'd I'd have to admit I've gotten away from it a little bit because I've gotten to the point where I would have to load up so much weight to really feel like I'm getting a benefit because I I feel like I've gotten very good at stabilizing that weight. So it's it's to the point now where it's more the weight stabilized enough that I'm just kind of failing with how it is uh just in terms of the weight alone because the thing is with the bamboo bar and i know it's even more on the overheads the whip of the bar because it's so light 
it's so light it, it whips around and stuff so it's like you're pressing and you might catch that whip at the right time where it's just it's home free off the chest or the the shoulders here and then all of a sudden that whip comes back down and then it's like you hit a brick wall like halfway up and you got to kind of fight through that for a bit um that's what makes it difficult uh so i do like it for that but I've gotten away from a little bit, but I think for the vast majority of people, it should be a regular item that they use. If not on a training day, then on an off day, for sure. I think there's a lot of value to it. And I think most value comes via it being a, an excellent training tool and an excellent self-check tool. You know, if you're stabilizing heavier weight in a bamboo bar, it's going to have its transfer to the, to the barbell. Um, I don't think it's something... Once you get super advanced with it, I don't think it's something that's as necessary. Right now, I'm using it more in the sense that um, I have this uh, lingering shoulder issue going on here. I don't know if it's like a partially torn deal. It's been about three months or so now. Uh, I'm used to kind of just waiting things out. So I'm just kind of working around it right now, doing what I can, um, trying to pump up that area. Mohammed6651, hello. What's up, Mohammed, my friend? Where are you from? Where are you from? Um, all right, let's answer some more questions here. Sip of coffee for the working man. Got my pigskin cup. <clears throat> all righty. Let's see what we got. We got a few more here. It came in from the Instagram the other day. At Logan underscore barbell. Bench is weak off the chest. What should I do? Triceps, chest, shoulders, or back? So he's asking what muscle group is really going to be the payoff for him to develop strength off the chest. So for, for Logan here, I would first just address training down in that area uh, before I really think about developing any muscle groups. That's almost like a um, kind of a bodybuilding training thought. I want to train more like movement patterns. So that would be what I would switch my thinking to. Train more the movement pattern than really worrying as much about the specific muscles. Um, although that's the right train of thought. You're going for accessories and things like that. But I would spend a lot of time, if you're weak off the chest, spend a lot of time down at chest level. And if I had to pick a body part for you to work on, I wouldn't say triceps because they're a little out of play at the bottom position. Chest, I could see you getting some benefit from. Shoulders, potentially even more benefit from. I think get your overhead press up. That'll certainly help too. And then I think more than any, the back. The back really contributes to getting that weight moving off the chest if you load it right. If you load it right. The thing is, I could tell you what to train, but if the technique is off, it's not going to help much. You could have the strongest back in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, then we're going to be missing something so that's kind of the the thing with all this you know technique goes hand in hand with strength because it's going to change what's happening right if if i'm not using very good technique uh sure i could build up my chest and my shoulders and get a lot more benefit out of that but if i did get my technique better and i built up my back i think you'd get more benefit out of that so it really depends on where your technique's at uh, but I would say the back if I had to pick one. Uh, that's always going to be my go-to for off the chest. All right. So, yeah, no, but I would think more movement patterns. Like how can I spend more time at the bottom position? Just doing like three, five-second holds, uh, dead pressing, you know, all that type of stuff. 
Toyabusa, hello, greetings from the Netherlands. I think you joined us in last week, my friend. Thanks for coming back here. Appreciate that. Uh, Matt said, also, after you eat some of those southern meals, you get get itis, the itis. You got to take a nap afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, get that, quote, unquote, meat sweats, right? Trevor Whitaker, um, if I'm missing at halfway point, do you think it's a lack of upper back tightness or more tricep weakness? So that's another great example. Comes right back down to house technique in the bench press because if technique is off, right, it, it could definitely be uh, triceps would, would bring that up. But if technique's on point and things are, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, upper back was going to help you a lot. Okay, so upper back, and in, in, if you're holding your position right, if you got the technique, you're holding your position, right, you're going to have good spring off the chest. And then where most people run into that issue mid-range is they come off the chest and they forget about actively trying to keep their shoulder blades not only squeezed but really pulled underneath them. Uh, that's the issue you run into. Uh, and what happens is, you immediately shift that load goes from being loaded in your lats well, springing off your lats, to now shifting into your shoulders. You should get a little flare with it, whatever, and now you're in your shoulders. So that's the issue there. And if you had the technique with the upper back, that should help solve it, should help carry that bar through to the end. Um, you also have to build it up. So. You see this a lot with lifters who hit a certain threshold and then they start flaring. Like they can control it beforehand. Maybe they hit like 85% and then they start flaring out quickly. You know, that's usually you have to build up the strength. Uh, and then in terms of triceps, sometimes it can just be tricep weakness, uh, especially if the technique's dialed in. You're not sinking it and trying to heave it up. Um, it could, could potentially be a tricep weakness and then you would just do like board presses, pin presses, floor presses. Yeah, I would treat it the same. I would treat a shirted lifter just because we're mostly working that partial range. So hopefully that helps Trevor. Um, but yeah, that's that would how I would approach it. Uh, Matt says, would decline pressing be a better accessory than incline? This is based on the setup of a bench with your arch. Uh, I think I, I never train a decline, nor do I really program it. Um, for one... I think about half the people that I work with probably wouldn't be able to set up a decline. Um, some work out of commercial gyms and whatnot, but a lot have like their own setups at home and um, decline pressing can be a little bit difficult in that scenario. If you're in a commercial gym and there's one there, I could see it being used more in how I would do it is more of a, a high rep type of deal. Uh, kind of like flies, just to force the blood flow in. I think for... So my bench rolling lifters, usually the second bench day is a, a recovery type workout, in which case um, you were doing like a 2 by 20 feet up. That's probably a good variation to decline press to throw in on that day. But I don't really use it in uh, terms of main movements or secondary movements on uh, those other bench days. Uh, but I, I do know what you're saying. Simulates the arch a little bit more, um, obviously, because that's what you're trying to feel when you're on the bench. But uh, I do think there's a lot more benefits with the incline press. Because if you think about, you know, what's a harder pressing variation to, the incline is going to be just a step down from, like, overhead pressing. So um, 
it's going to be a challenging movement that incorporates more of your chest but also hits your shoulders real good. And I think that's um, an important thing. So hopefully that uh, answers that. Uh, Toyabusa, is it good to use wide grip and small grip bench press in one workout or do I have to cut it into separate training? Uh, you know, I, overall, I think you should just look at it like total volume in a um, in a week. You know, so I don't think it's really gonna play a huge role if you do it on one day versus doing it um, in pieces. You know, doing a close grip day and then a, a wider grip day. Um, I do think you want to. I would, I would just for the sake of say I was, I had some issues with the close grip, but I wanted to use it. I think varying grips within the same workout is a great way to continue to add volume to the workout without um, getting into like the overuse type of uh, discomforts that you might have. Um, you know, if I hammered close grip for a whole workout and did a shit ton of sets, it would probably bother me a bit. But if I can vary grips and change what I'm doing a little bit, then I can continue to get some good volume in without bothering myself. You know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, I'd say you could do that same workout, or you could split it up, really however you want to do it. It really depends on what's going on, what the scenarios are behind that. Oh, it is K. This one's a tough one to read. J. Yefda TWQ. What's up, my friend? Hi, Ben. What about soft touch or sinking touch? Which is going to benefit more? Uh, I believe I have a video that's going to be coming out on this. I believe filmed it. So, uh, touch pressure. Okay, obviously, we don't want to spoto press it, t-shirt press it. I, I'm big on t-shirt pressing and training. That's when you would look to touch the hairs of your shirt, but never let any of the weight actually sink into your chest. That's not what we want to do in competition. We do want some sink, right? We don't want to have to control the whole load for that pause. We want to let it sink a little bit, but we can't, the big thing is we can't sacrifice position. Okay, so we can sink it, but at a certain point, at a certain point of sinking into our chest, we're going to get lax with our upper back. We're going to start losing some of the tightness we're creating. Because if we were spoto pressing it, we have to keep our upper back super tight. The more we sink it, the more we can kind of get lax with our upper back. We don't want that. Nor do we want our chest to collapse in. So it's a fine line. All right, you have to find the right balance. Okay, we don't want to get into that little kind of scoop and heave type deal either. So you got to make sure the movement itself isn't being sacrificed for sinking it into the chest. But we don't want to also just hang out there and try to steady it ourselves. So hopefully that makes sense, my friend. Uh, so with sinking touch, you are losing tightness. Uh, yes, yeah. So if you ever see like, those who really sink it in, Right, what ends up happening, if I can even turn my body here and show you, if you're sinking in, that at some point those shoulders are going to have to go forward, and that's going to pull um, you away from where you should be keeping all your pressure, which is up like top of your traps and neck. When you come in like that, that's going to put your shoulders, it's going to take your shoulders, uh, going to take more to load, because now your upper back starting to peel off the bench. You're not able to really effectively leverage with the bench as much. Um, and it's taking you off where you want to keep all your weight. So you'll get a huge pop off the chest, but can you carry that through and actually keep a good barred path? Well, that's the, that's the struggle. All right, so it's very, very easy to lose tightness. Um, even if you don't, you don't think you are, but 
there's definitely a loss of tightness that comes with sinking too much. So it's a fine line. Um, that's how I coach it. Yeah, Julius Maddox sinks into his chest. He's one of those examples, one of those outliers. Dude's 450, going for 800-pound bench. Can't argue with it. Can't argue with it. It's an amazing bench, the biggest bench of all time. But um, I'd say for the majority, large majority of the people, and that's always what I'm kind of keeping in mind here too, um, is for the large majority of people, you do not want to follow suit with that. All right. Uh, you could get away with it, but it's it's not a, not a route I'd like to see people go down. Plus, majority of people, I can see them coming up with a lot of issues uh, training like that for a long period of time. All right. So let's go to another question that came in through the Instagram. And anyone joining in, you guys can drop some cues below. Or if you just want to shoot the shit on a topic, don't be afraid to throw a topic out. Let's shoot the shit a little bit. This is bench talk. Doesn't mean we just have to talk about the bench because I'm sitting on a bench. We can talk about anything. Pigskin. Sip of coffee for the working man. Oh, that's good. Straight espresso. All right, guys. We got a question that came in from at J Sanders. One, two, three, one. Cues for catching the bar with your lats. So I was reading this and I was like, catching the bar with your lats is, is a cue itself. Um, so that is a cue for catching the bar with your lats. You want to try to think about, hey, catching the bar with your lats. That's one way I, I'd um, say it. Like, so how you want to steady that bar by using your back. Okay, keep your back tight and you should be able to feel like you're loading up your back. You should feel like you're getting tighter and tighter with your back. Like it wants to kind of come undone as you're coming down with the weight. But you, by you keeping that tightness, that's what creates that spring effect. Okay. Other things you could think about cues for catching the bar with your lats. Um, I like to think belly back. Belly back's a big one because if you can, if you can keep that the belly pushed up, elevated, right? That means we're getting back activation we need. So that's one way to think about it. A lot of people, it's, it's cued chest up. Um, I like to think belly back because thinking chest up or belly up usually accompanies with the, the glutes lifting off the pad and we can keep the horizontal leg drive. Um, the other thing you want to think about, uh, pocketing your shoulder blades, okay? So keeping your shoulder blades pulled underneath you. You know, when you're set up like this, it's one thing to just put yourself in position. It's another thing to, when you're here, work as hard as humanly possible to continue to pull your shoulder blades down. All right, you should literally be shaking the whole time. And this is where most lifters just don't get that. You know, they put themselves into a position, but then they kind of just leave themselves there. You have to actively just strive for more in everything that you're doing. Knees out, you're pushing as hard as possible. Shoulder blades under, hard as possible. Literally, you are just a shaking ball because you are so tight. We could take that max effort, just put it in your hands, and you're ready to go. There's no having to prepare for it once you feel it. You know what I mean? So um, one of the biggest things that, that I could tell anyone is just bring more effort to what you're doing. And that's something that I try to drive home with our lifters too is uh, – even when videos look good, I almost feel bad because I don't want to seem like I keep uh, like pushing, like this isn't right, you know, let's, let's focus on this. But um, I want to stay on top of everyone to continue 
to make them think about how they can get better and to continue bringing intensity to what they're doing. All right, so it's not me trying to just keep poking at them and, and tell them, hey, do better, do better. Um, you know, I really want our athletes to strive to do the best they can in, in all those scenarios. Just keep pushing it, push the chains, get better at it. If you can arch a little harder, arch a little harder. If you can keep your shoulder blades pocketed a little bit better, do it. Um, knees out, stress it even more so your glutes are freaking shaking, all right? Um, just about bringing more intensity to what you're doing, and we can always do more of that, all right? You'd be surprised. Yeah, it's like it's like with anything. If someone's there telling you, hey, do this more, all right, do it more, do it more. You do it more, it's, it's tough as shit. So one of those types of scenarios. Um, anything coming in here from... Uh, Toyabusa, I can't do floor bench, floor press, because my elbows hit the floor. I can touch my chest with the bar. Should I stop doing floor press? Um, so if I'm getting this right, the floor press, the elbows hit the floor. Um, well, that's okay, because a floor press is traditionally a uh, partial range movement. So... I wouldn't expect you to go down all the way to your chest and rarely would someone be able to do that um, some can just the way like their limbs are built and whatnot they kind of end up on their chest in that uh, 90 position out here right and when they, they would normally hit the floor they're already on their chest um, for most people that's not the case but I wouldn't shy away from doing the floor press. It just is what it is. It's a partial range movement. So I would continue doing it, especially if we're in lockdown and you have a barbell but not a bench. It's a great way to continue to uh, train in a bench-specific way, albeit partial range. Uh, what I would do is close grip because that's going to allow you um, to hit the triceps and, and move in a little bit of a longer range of motion than normal, um, which would be beneficial in this time. Just making things harder in general. Um, so hopefully that answers that, my friend. Definitely don't stop. Definitely don't stop. All right, I got one more here from uh, the Instagram stories. And again, guys, anyone wants to contribute a question or a topic, you want to just shoot the shit about something, uh, just let me know and uh, we'll do that. But we have one more here from at Tony underscore DeMello. How important is dedicating shoulder development for a raw bench? Dedicated shoulder development. I think he's getting after. And what exercise? Uh, so for a raw bench, I'd say it's a lot more important than it would be for. I'm going to take this hat off. It keeps changing the damn YouTube lighting. Uh, so I'd say uh, shoulder development is going to be a lot more important for a raw bencher than it is a shirt bencher. Um, you know, I'll give you an example of that right now. Right now, I'm kind of I have a shoulder uh, left shoulder issue going on. Uh, raw benching anything over two twenty five right now feels pretty uncomfortable. I throw on a shirt. I doubled seven hundred. This is all at the same time the shoulder's been bothering me. Doubled seven hundred. Didn't think twice about it. Yeah, so it really shows you how how in play your shoulders really are. Um, the load is taken up a lot more by the shirt and your back. So as a raw bencher, shoulder development is going to be much more critically important. Um, 
you know, I still don't think it's going to be just as important as building a big, strong back. But, you know, all things need to be considered. And there's a lot more value there for a raw bencher. And what exercise I would use to build that up, I can't think of much none better than a barbell overhead press. Um, one of those movements you can load up a shit ton. You know, and, and the variations like a push press or a pin press, uh, dumbbell shoulder press. Uh, you could do a landmine shoulder press. I mean, you could do a lot of different overhead pressing options. But, um, you know, I, I'm really in love with the barbell version. That's where you can load up that most weight. And then um, also we got a phone call coming in here. Um, also a football bar, something like that. You take a neutral grip. might be a little more friendlier on your shoulders instead of being stuck in this. Uh, external rotation position already uh, so guys that's the questions I got from Instagram here we got any more we got a topic want to shoot the shit about um, Matt says he wants to talk a little NFL I'm always down for some NFL since the combine was not long ago what is your thought on the 225 for reps they have the guys do um, so that's a great question I think it, it I think most of those tests they do probably ain't worth a damn, and they just kind of do them because it's what they've been doing. Um, it's I, I guess it's a good upper body strength test, um, but you know what I'd rather see? I'd rather see like a dude fire off into a, a sled, when there's like prowler sleds with the dummies on them, um, and I don't know, load that baby up, see how much he can push on that. I feel like that'd be more relative to alignment anyway. Um, bench press, I mean, there's so many ways you can kind of work around that to get your bench up, but then how much does that really help you on the line? And why is it only upper body? I mean, it's not like those guys are using leg drive, and you damn sure better be using leg drive when you're blocking someone. So I don't see it being worth a damn. Uh, in terms of testing, uh, obviously, I think it has value in actually training. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they do some of the things they continue doing. Um, I don't know what other dumb ones there are. I think, you know, I, some of them I seem pretty relative. The sprint, that one gets glorified so much. I think the sprint is really dumb too. Because um, when are you gonna have a guy starting off a, off a gun or whatever? And, just being able to take off full sprint that never happens i'd rather see someone do one of those cone drill type things and i don't know make it reactionary like don't just have him touch different cones or something i don't know throw some obstacles his ways that he doesn't expect and see how he responds i think there's just better ways you can run the combine if you really want to see you know what a guy's worth there um not a punt or kickoff. Yeah, I guess I guess you could do that. But, I mean, those guys are on you so quick. And, man, freaking Edelman from the Pats. I, that dude always taking the, the kick returns. I don't like him taking the kick returns. He almost blew that cha AFC Championship game against the Chiefs by almost freaking dummy touching the ball and fumbling there and blowing the game. He always does that shit, too. Ball comes in. He gets too close to it, almost touches the ball, and then – Frickin', it could have been a fumble. We don't know, and they got to go to review and see. Uh, so I don't know why frickin' Edelman's taking the kickoffs. But um, that was a great great question there, Mike. Uh, uh, great question there, Matt. Um, the combine, I don't know why they do some of that shit that they do. 
Toya Busa says, 225 rep test is unfair for lighter people. Uh, yeah, I mean, because you're stuck with the 225, so I could definitely see that. You know, big 400-pound lineman's going to have, uh, I don't know, do they even have 400-pound linemen? That's awfully big. Wilfork's not even that big. My foot position is limited due to hip flexor issues. My feet are narrow. Uh, so, that's that's fine. That's fine. Just do what you can. I have lifters who can't really get into that wide position because um, they, they just locked up in their hips. So, you would either come back with your feet and do a uh, heel drive style or uh, you would just go to where you can. You know, where you end up ultimately is one thing, but the activation you create, that should be universal throughout. It says, leg drive impaired. I'm in between Larson and regular when I do push more. I pay for it with hip soreness after. So then that's a whole other unique uh, situation for you, my friend. You might want to try uh, doing the toes back heel drive if you haven't. Or you may just want to do majority of your benching feet up and then do the feet down when you can or for a few sets. But um, I would I would look into why that might be happening. But hip soreness is a lot different than uh, hip pain. So I would look if it's just soreness or pain because your lower body should be fried after a bench session. You know, I've started putting my benching before my squatting and deadlifting. Like I'm starting benching now first in a week. Because even deadlifts uh, fry me up good for the bench. Like, I need so much leg power for the bench that if I'm not fresh, it really hinders me. Uh, he says arthritis. So, um, yeah, I'm, I might want to find uh, someone to work with that would help you out with that in terms of maybe getting a PT and just doing some soft tissue work. That might help out. I know for me, a lot of my restrictions, I go get deep tissue work done. And boy, does that make a world of difference. So you might want to just consider doing something like that, uh, working around what you can. And um, yeah, so it sounds like that just, it hurts. It hurts. So I would look to, um, outside of what you're doing in the gym, what can you do to um, get yourself right with that? All right. And all suave. What's the perfect rep ranges for you? Oh, there's no such thing as a perfect rep range, my friend. Uh, I am hitting all kinds of rep ranges. Uh, and I guess it really depends, too, uh, what phase of the training we're in. I usually, for my lifters, I don't program in uh, anything over five reps and expect them to um, be able to do it competition style because that's a lot of maintaining a position, Okay. Uh, so usually if we're doing comp benching, it's going to be five reps or less. And But there's scenarios where I go anywhere from we're doing one rep to 20 reps. So there's no perfect rep range. It really just depends on what the goal is. Like that recovery-based day, we'll do like feet up benching, two by 20, you know, just to get some blood flow going. A lot of the bamboo work I do is 15 to 20. But um, I guess to answer you... Uh, if you're just talking comp benching, it would be one rep to five reps is kind of that sweet spot that we stay in for uh, that transfer. All right, so I think we're out of questions here on YouTube, Instagram. I'll take one more sip of coffee for the working man.
Toya Busta says 20 reps. When do you use 20 reps? So I was I was mentioning um, for feet up benching on a recovery-based day, uh, we'll do 20 reps. Um, the uh, barbell, I mean the bamboo bar, we'll do uh, about 20 reps, high rep stuff. Um, usually just feet up. Like I said, I don't expect anyone to comp bench over five reps. Uh, but then, you know, there's scenarios where we do like a t-shirt press feet up or something like that for eight, uh, eight, six to eight, probably sweet spot there. Um, anything else more than that would probably go with, with dumbbells or uh, variation bar, something like that. Alrighty. Uh, appreciate everyone tuning in. If you haven't checked out, please go to bigbenches.com. We just released a new shirt the other day, the American Benches. I'm making some edits on that. I um, think you guys are really going to like that that uh, that shirt. Uh, coming out with some different variations with it as well. But uh, the logo and American flag show your American support. But check out, if you're not uh, currently involved in the VIP membership, go to the website. Go to uh, that tab, VIP membership. You can see all the benefits in there. It's our community, our Big Benches community page. And I'm posting up um, bonus content in terms of we're talking squatting, deadlifting, soft tissue stuff. You know, everyone's helping each other out with issues. We're posting videos. You know, I'm giving my feedback on videos. So if you're looking for a way to get some critiques on what you're doing, I would definitely look to potentially join us there. We've been doing some awesome challenges. We did an arms challenge uh, this past month where the majority of those in the group gained about three-fourths an inch on their arms. That was about the average. It was, it was pretty incredible, way better than the last time we did it. Um, everyone made some amazing results. Um, and we, we do uh, all kinds of cool fun contests and giveaways and things like that and I, i'd love to welcome you into the community um it's less than ten dollars a month to sign up go to the tab I guarantee you I'll, I'll make it worth your while so uh please check that out and i appreciate everyone tuning in let me give you one final swig of coffee here sip of coffee for the working man out there all right <clears throat> And at that, I will bid you guys farewell and good day. All right. I hope everyone has a fantastic week. Um, and hope you join us on Thursday. We got the next podcast episode popping up Thursday. They're a little shorter. They're about 15 minutes. You search the Benchcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and I hope you enjoy the show.